0: Today we're looking in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 1. The book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 1, and we are going to read verse number 18. 1 Corinthians, chapter number 1, reading verse number 18. The Apostle Paul writes and he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. This morning we're going to be talking about the power of the cross. Father, I thank you for the word of God today. It indeed is a lamp unto our feet and it is a light unto our path. God, I just pray again today that your anointing will rest heavily upon the message and upon the messenger Lord today. And God, I pray that you'll give us ears upon our heart today to receive your word. And Father, I pray for those that, Lord, that are here today, that perhaps they do not know you as Lord and Savior of their life. Father, I pray that today is the day of salvation for them. And Lord, I pray that you will use the power of the message of the cross to woo the unsaved to you. Save the lost today. In Jesus' name, for your glory we ask these things. All of God's people said, praise the Lord. And you may be reseated this morning. May I suggest that the power of God to save the lost is released through the preaching of the cross? I want you to understand this morning that it's not the power of the messenger, but the power of the message. Now, now the messenger might. Might be lacking in ability. He might be uh, lacking in delivery. His stage presence uh, may be lacking, and yet, because of the power that is contained in the message, lives are touched and changed and transformed. And this is exactly what I've been praying about this week. And that is that power would be manifested today, not not so much in the messenger, but in the message. Paul said in our scripture today that that to those that are being saved, it is the message of the cross, the message of the cross that produces the power for our salvation. He also said in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And here's the reason he said that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. He said because it is the power of God unto salvation. What is the gospel of Christ? If the gospel of Christ is the power of God for salvation, we need to understand what the gospel of Christ is. Let me share what the gospel of Christ is this morning. That is, that, that He, the Son of God, became the Son of Man, that He, Jesus, was born of a virgin. That he, Jesus, lived a sinless life. That he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. And that on the cross, God placed our sins upon him. And that he did for us what we could never, ever do for ourselves. And our salvation comes to us by by, by placing our our trust, our faith, and our confidence in what Jesus did for us on the cross. That is the gospel message, and that is the power of God. Let's talk a little bit about the cross this morning. The first thing I want to talk about is the mandate. The mandate. You see, without the cross, there would be... No salvation. You see, for God, it was the cross or it was nothing. You see, if Jesus would have said no to the cross, if Jesus would have backed out and refused to follow through with the plan of God, let me tell you this one: we would have no hope. Because God had no backup plan. You see, there was no plan It was the cross or nothing Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says There is salvation in no other For there is no other name under heaven given among men Whereby we must be saved So that tells me that it's Jesus And what Jesus accomplished on the cross Or nothing Hebrews 9 and 22 says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. We're talking about the mandate this morning. The mandate. The mandate. Oh, it was mandated. The cross was mandated. Without the cross, there's no hope for salvation. Only through the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. Oh, hear me, friend. Only through a bloody cross can man... Be saved. Jesus said in John 14 and 6 He said I am the way, I am the truth And I am the life And Jesus said no one comes unto the Father Unless they come through Me The cross was mandated by God And so was the message oh, So was the preaching Of the cross 1 Corinthians 1 and 21 says That it pleased God Through the message preached To save those believe. Some people think that preaching is outdated today. I say that if you throw out the preaching, you might as well throw it all out this morning because it is the preaching of the message, not the messenger, but it is the message and the message alone that gives hope for salvation. Second thing I want to see as we talk about the cross this morning, let's talk a little bit about the man you see, the cross was the method God chose. Jesus, God's very own Son, was the man God chose. So let me suggest three things about him. Three things about the man. Let me suggest, first of all, he was sinless. We need to understand this this morning. Jesus, Jesus wasn't crucified for his sins, but for ours. Yeah, Second Corinthians 5 and 21 says, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God Amen. in him. You see, because of the miraculous birth of Jesus, he was born free of sin. He was born sinless. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, he lived his entire life in total perfection. Totally without sin. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 22 says about Jesus who committed no sin. Not even one who committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his talk about the man this morning he was sinless but not only was he sinless he was he was surrendered he was surrendered the Bible when it tells the story of the crucifixion it tells us the fact that Jesus was crucified between two thieves That there were two men that were also crucified the same day that Jesus was crucified. The only difference between Jesus and them was they were guilty. They had stolen, they had robbed, they had had murdered, and they, they were guilty. And because of the guilt of their crime, they were being executed on the cross. I can just imagine, as I began to try and comprehend this, kind of try and think about it and think through this, I can just imagine in my mind the struggle that these two other men must have, have put up to try and keep the nails out of their hands and the nails out of their feet. And the struggle that they must have put up trying to keep themselves off the cross. When I was just a little boy, probably four or five I, I fell off a porch, and there was some glass where I fell, and I cut my leg really bad. And so, and so my mom wrapped me up, wrapped my leg up in a blanket, took me to the doctor, and, and the doctor was going to give me a shot. <laughs> I was four, maybe five. It took the doctor two nurses, and my mother, to first of all run me down (laughs) and then hold me down. It took four adults to give a shot to a four, five-year-old little boy. Listen, listen, if a if 35, 40-pound little boy can put up such a fight like that, can you even imagine how much of a fight, oh, a 200-pound man could put up when his life is at stake? And I can see the, the the thief on the right and the thief on the left, and I can see them putting up a struggle like I can see them, I can see them gouging, and and I can see them biting, and I can see them punching and kicking and gouging and doing everything in the world to keep themselves off of the cross. But not Jesus. I can see Jesus. As they lay the cross on the ground, I can see Jesus of his own accord and of his own volition, of his own self. I can see Jesus laying down on the cross. When it's time to nail the nail in his left wrist, I can see him holding out his left wrist and... Allowing them to nail the spike through his wrist. And when it's time to to hold out the right wrist, I can see Jesus extending his arm out and allowing them to nail the right wrist to the cross. And when it came time to cross his feet and put the long spike in between his two feet, I can see Jesus crossing. I can see him of his own self and of his own volition. I can see him voluntarily. I can see him placing his feet on the cross where they're supposed to be. Say, Pastor, you got any Bible for that? I do. I do. John 10, verse 17 and 18, Jesus said, I lay down my life. Jesus said, nobody takes my life from me. Nobody is going to have to make me go on the cross. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. We're talking about the man of the cross right now. He surrendered his life. Oh, oh, listen, listen, friend. He didn't have to. No, no, no. He didn't have to. Oh, oh, he could have backed out. Oh, he could have called it all off. Oh, at the last minute, he could have said, I can't do this. I just can't do this. I just can't go through with it. He could have called it off. He said in Matthew 26 verse 53, He said, don't you understand? Don't you understand? He said, I, I could ask my Father for twelve legions of angels to protect me and He would send them. But well, Thank God He didn't. Amen. When I was a little boy, and yes, I was a little boy one time, Back in the dark ages. When I was a little boy, the singers in church used to sing a song that said, He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. He could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you. Not only was this man sinless, not only was he surrendered, he was our substitute. Romans 6 and 23 says the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. But the good news is the rest of the verse says, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The penalty for sin is death. Eternal death. Eternal death is, is eternal separation from God. But Jesus became our substitute when he died on the cross. He took our punishment so we wouldn't have to experience it. Second Corinthians 5 and 21 says that God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. In Isaiah 53 and 6, God has laid on him, Christ, the sin of us all. The truth of the matter is, it, it should have been me on that cross. The truth of the matter is, it should have been you on the cross. Because it was our sin and the sin of all mankind that made the cross required. But God chose his very own son, Jesus. And Jesus was more than willing to volunteer for the duty. And God placed his very own son on the cross. And then he somehow, I don't know how he did it, but somehow miraculously God gathered up all of the sin of man of all past, present, and future age. All oh, took every sin that ever was or ever would be committed and placed him, dumped them all of the sin of the world on Jesus. And Jesus hung on the cross and died as penalty for all of the sin of man. And there on the cross, Jesus became... Our substitute. We're talking about the man of the cross right now. Talking about the man. Oh, oh, Can you give a shout out to the man of the cross this morning who took your place, who became your substitute, who paid the penalty for your sin? Can you give him a shout of praise in his house right now? Thank him that he did for you what you could never, ever do for yourself. All right, we talked about the mandate, we talked about the man. Let's talk a little bit about the misery. There's just absolutely no way to adequately describe the untold misery that Jesus endured on the cross man is made up of body soul and spirit I want to suggest to you that Jesus experienced unexpressible misery in all three of these areas first of all his body The physical sufferings of the cross is beyond description. Crucifixion was designed to deliver the ultimate in human torture. The cross was designed for two things. It was an instrument of death, an instrument of execution. But it was also used as unbelievable torture. Jesus didn't just die, he was tortured. Crucifixion was an art. Those who carried out this horrific act were experts in what they did. They didn't just grab this one and that one and say, go execute, go crucify. No, they were, they were trained. This was an art. And those that carried out this horrific act were experts in their, in their field in what they did. And they didn't just carelessly and nonchalantly... Uh, nail a person's hands and a person's feet to the cross. No, 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 no. No, they positioned the hands and positioned the feet exactly and precisely in proportion to their body as to create the maximum amount of pain and torture. When we think about the crucifixion, we you somehow think that the nailing of the hands and the feet, that the process of actual spikes being driven through the wrists and the feet uh, was the most painful part of the process. The reality is that was the least painful part of the process. Even though it was incredibly Unbelievably painful to have spikes nailed in your hands and in your feet. If that was just the very beginning and the least of the torture. After the body was positioned and nailed on the cross... The cross was then picked up and, and the cross was dropped into a hole and the weight of the person's body was held up by these spikes and these spikes alone. And the hands and the feet tore as the cross was dropped into the hole. The crucified would would raise themselves up on the nails in order to be able to breathe. And when they would raise themselves up onto the nails so that they would be able to get a breath and be able to breathe, an unbelievable burning, searing pain would go up and down their arms and up and down their legs. And it would be so severe that they would allow their bodies then to fall back down onto the nails, nearly passing out. Now they couldn't breathe again. And so they would have to raise themselves up again on the nails in order to catch a breath. And once again, the searing, burning pain would rush through their arms and rush through their legs. And over and over and over and over they would repeat this process. Talking about the misery right now, the painful physical misery that Jesus endured on the cross is absolutely indescribable. And we haven't even talked about all that he went through on the whipping post where the cat of nine tails literally ripped his back to shreds. Haven't even talked about The crown of thorns that was placed upon his head and beat down upon his head with a stick. The slapping, the jeering, the mocking, the laughing, the cursing that was done before he ever even got to the cross. Isaiah said in Isaiah 52 and 14, his appearance Was so disfigured beyond that of any man. And his form was marred beyond human likeness. When they got through beating Jesus. When they got through crucifying Jesus. You couldn't even recognize him. The misery of the cross was not isolated to his body. It also included his soul. Now the soul of man is made up of his mind, his emotions, and his will. And it was in the garden of Gethsemane that Jesus contemplated the cross and what it would cost him to yield himself to it. There, there the soul of Jesus was tested. There, there his soul was tortured beyond comprehension. In Matthew 26, verse 38, Jesus said, My soul, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death. My what? My soul. I ask you this morning, what was it? What was it that caused Jesus such anguish of soul? Because not even while he was on the cross itself did Jesus express, express such anguish and torment. Only in Gethsemane, oh, as he was contemplating the cup, it was the cup that he faced in the garden. Matthew 26, 39, oh, my Father Jesus and if it is possible, let, let this cup pass from Not just one time, not just two times, but for three solid hours, three times. Oh, Jesus cried, oh, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. Oh, God, do I really have to drink this cup? He didn't pray for the nails or the spear. Or the lashes on his back, or the crown of thorns—he didn't pray for any of these to go away. Oh, see, see, it wasn't—it wasn't just the physical pain of the cross that Jesus dreaded the most. No, no, no. As horrific as the physical pain of the cross was, but listen, friend, I suggest to you that it was the cup. It was the cup, the cup that he dreaded the most. Yes, amen. What was it about the cup? What could have possibly been in the cup that would cause him such anguish and agony of soul, mind, emotions, will? I believe that in the cup of Gethsemane was no less than the compilation of all the sin of man. Sins of the past, sins of the present, sins of the future. Every man, somehow, God miraculously poured those sins into the cup that Jesus would have to drink. Oh, just think of it. Just think of it. Jesus, fully God, yet fully man. Jesus, 100% human, but 100% God. Jesus, totally perfect, sinless pure holy righteous he was facing for the very first time ever sin this cup and its contents were bitter defiling and poisonous and its contents was beyond all human imagination in both quality and Quantity, oh, every evil deed, every vile act, every vile thought, every perverted sexual activity, all oh, the sin of pimp, pusher, and prostitute, all oh, the sin of prejudice, pride, and premeditated murder, and the sin of every sin ever, ever committed were somehow placed in the cup that Jesus was going to have to drink. Isaiah 53 and 6, again, God laid on him the sin. Of us all. Oh, the misery of the cross. But this misery wasn't limited to his body and his soul, but also his spirit. Perhaps the greatest misery of all was the misery of his spirit. You see, Jesus didn't just have to experience death physically, but also spiritually. And spiritual death is separation from God. When we think of hell, which we seldom do because we hate to think of it, but somehow we have come to think that that hell's greatest torment will be the literal fire that burns the bodies of its inhabitants. And as horrific and unbelievable as it is, the greatest torment of hell will not be the fire and the burning. It will be the eternal separation of God. This world and the United States of America is becoming such an unbelievable wicked place. But if you can imagine the wickedness of this world and of the United States today with a church on every corner and Christians on every block... Can you imagine the vileness? Can you imagine the ugliness? Can you imagine the wickedness? Can you imagine all the evil of a place, amen, where there's not even one ounce of the presence of God? And on the cross, Jesus not only suffered physically, not only did he suffer in the area of his soul, the moment he was on that cross he experienced for the first time in his existence which he always has existed but he had to experience the absence of the presence of his very own heavenly father Matthew 27 verse 36 says about the ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which interpreted is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Talking about the misery of the cross. Jesus suffered immensely beyond description in his body, his soul, and his spirit. All right, we talked about the mandate, the man, and the misery. Very, very quickly this morning, I want to hasten and talk about the last thing about the cross. That is the message. The message. What is the message of the cross? Well, first of all, thanks for asking. Appreciate that. First of all, let me suggest, it's a message of love. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever would believe upon Him would not have to perish, but could enjoy everlasting life. John 15 and 13 says that greater love has no one than this, than that a man would lay down his life for his friends. You've heard me tell this before, but many of you will hear it for the first time. My kids were little. I used to take them aside and teach them different things. Most of it was good. I know it was a little ornery, but it was fun. I would teach my little kids when they were just toddlers, and then and then I would bring them before an audience and have them perform. And when Chad was just a little toddler, I would I would bring him before a group of people and I would say, "Chad, Chad, tell show everybody how much you love Grandma," and he would, and show everybody how much you love Grandpa. I say, Chad, show everybody how much you love your daddy. He would do like this. And I say, son, how much do you love your mama? (laughs) That worked pretty good for my kids. But one day I came home from work, and we were keeping our youngest granddaughter, and she was just a toddler. And as I came in the door, my wife said, Honey, come here. Riley wants to show you something. <laughs> and she turned it around on me. And I suggest that over 2,000 years ago, the world said to Jesus, Jesus, just how much do you love us? And Jesus stretched out his arms on the cross, and he said, I love you this much. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Thank you. And I suggest that it wasn't three old rusty spiked nails that held Jesus to the cross. No, no, no. It was his love that kept him there. The message of the cross is not only a message of love, but also it's a message of liberty. Liberty. Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, Paul writes and he says, So, so now there is no condemnation for those who, walk, who, who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to Him, the power of the, living, of the life-giving Spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us Because of the wickedness of our sinful nature. So God did say that. So God did. What the law could not do. What did he do? He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, listen, in that body, in the body of Christ, God declared An end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. I don't know how y'all just sit there like that. I mean, come on, that's shouting ground right there, man. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God, God declared. He declared an end to sin's control over us. He did it by giving his son as a sacrifice for his sins. He did this so that the just Uh, requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the spirit. What did he say? The same thing I say nearly every Sunday and that is thank God what we couldn't do for ourselves God did for us. We get the worship team back in place this morning. Friend, man could never measure up to God's standard of righteousness on his own. So what man could never do for himself, God did for him. Through his son, Jesus Christ, on the old rugged Friend, if man is to be free from sin, if he is to be forgiven, if he is to be released from the penalty of his sin, oh, he must embrace and he must place his faith, his trust, and his total confidence in what Jesus did for him on the cross. This and this alone will save him and set him at liberty from his sin. We've been talking about the power of the cross today. Our text said the message of the cross is foolishness to them that are perishing. The world thinks you're a fool (laughs) because you're in here listening to this maniac up here. They think you're a fool. message of the cross it's foolishness to those that are going to hell foolishness to those that are perishing the Bible said, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God I'll never forget it, as a little boy growing up and man the preacher preached hellfire and brimstone every Sunday and Preached on the rapture every Sunday night and, and you ain't going was his message. <laughs> now you've sinned and you've messed up and you're too worldly and you're too this and do that and do something else. And as a little PK, a little preacher's kid, we went to every service sick or well, homework or no homework, Ball game or no ball game. I'll never forget every night before I went to sleep. Fear would grip my heart. What if the Lord comes in the night? I might not go in the rapture. I might not go to heaven. Because I haven't been perfect today. I've acted like a little boy. I don't know when it was. It was sometime in the early part of my ministry that I realized the only hope I have is God's grace and God's mercy. And the only way that I'm going to get to heaven, the only way it's going to happen is if I put my total Faith, trust, and confidence in what Jesus did for me on the cross. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be righteous enough. I'll never be holy enough. I'll never measure up. And God knew that, and so He put His Son on the cross to do for me what I can never do for myself. Oh, so liberating! So liberating! So liberating! I don't know if it's old school or just because that's the way I but I still every day I still still pray the blood over me still confess my sins every single day but I know that my hope is only in what Jesus did for me on the cross and my trust, faith and confidence in what he did for me on the cross That's that's it that's it that's it that's it Father, I just pray today, Lord, we've asked you for ten souls to be saved today. God, I see a lot of empty seats today. It rained. It's the weather. They've called for bad weather, all this stuff. It's Super Bowl Sunday, all of these things. All of these things working against us today, and yet I know that you're able to work no matter what. Now, I just pray today, Lord, that you will let the message of the cross, the power of of the message, not the power of the messenger, but the power of the message. Holy Spirit, convict the heart and life of people here today. That people leave here with a hundred percent assurance in their heart. They're ready to meet you. Your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed today. Nobody looking about. Very, very quickly this morning, if you're not one hundred percent convinced in your heart, if you were to die today, that you would go to heaven. You don't know for sure. You're not 100% convinced. You want to be 100% convinced of your salvation. I can help you be that today. If that's you, I've described you. Let me see your hand all over this room. Lift it up real high all over this room. All over this room. God bless you and you. Lift them up really, really high. Let me see them because it's kind of dark in here this morning. Lift them up real high. At two or three, lift their hand. How many others this morning? I'm not 100% sure of my salvation I want to be 100% sure Lift it up real high Let me see Let me see all over this room All over this room All over this room All over this room All right, if you lifted your hand this morning There's about three, I think, two or three I want you to come and stand right here this morning We want to pray with you this morning Come and just stand right here in the front this morning Real quickly, would you do that? Don't be embarrassed. Just get up and come on down here. It's okay. You're in a safe environment today. You're in a safe place. We love you. We love you. We've all done this before. We've all come before. We want you to come. Yeah, encourage them. Encourage them today. Encourage them today. Encourage them. All right, three have come. Now there's others that will come. Now there's others that will come. Keep clapping and others are going to come. Just get up out of your seat and come. As they're clapping... As they're cheering you on this morning, maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you should have. Get out here with them this morning. Get out here with them this morning. Would you do that all over this room? Just get up from your seat and come down here this morning. Come down here this morning. Amen.